Welcome to the Working with India podcast, conversations to help cross-cultural managers deepen their understanding of India, produced by learningindia.in. Today's episode is with two friends named Sven and Charlotta that started their India experience together as interns in 2007. Sven is from Germany and Charlotta is from Finland, but both live full-time in India now, nearly eight years after their internships. This episode focuses on the importance of building relationships in India, and both Sven and Charlotta have a lot of important insights to share. We'll talk about their journeys in India and how they have adapted to a new long-term life here. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the Working with India podcast. We have two very special guests with us today. We have Sven and Charlotta. Uh, both uh, have a really interesting story about how they came to India and what they're doing here. Hello, Sven. Hello, Charlotta. How are both of you? Hi, we're good. How are you? Hi, Neil. All good. Yeah, I'm good. We're we're here recording in the summertime, so I think both of us are uh, a little bit hot. How is it there in Mumbai? It's really humid, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't it hasn't rained for quite some time, so then the heat comes out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your backgrounds. Where are you from, and uh, how did you get a uh, kind of your first exposure to India? Charlotte, why don't you start? Um, so uh, I'm from Finland, and I first came to India in 2005-2006, around New Year, mm-hmm. for a study trip. It was a um, kind of a religious excursion. I was studying comparative religion, and uh, spent a couple of weeks looking at different holy places and temples and that sort of thing. Learning about the religions in in India, visited several interested interesting places. Um, but I eventually moved to Mumbai in 2007 when I came to India through ISEC. Um, I felt like I wanted to try what it's like to live abroad rather than just traveling. And um, this opportunity to work with an NGO came to me. So um, my plan was to stay here for, for three months and work. But it's been seven years now, more than seven years, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Why don't you uh, explain a little bit about what ISIC is? Some people may or may not be familiar with that. If I remember the story correctly, then it was actually after the Second World War in the 1950s when some uh, students, uh, business students, came together and thought, how can we, tr- how can we participate to try to ensure that such a disaster won't happen again? Mm-hmm. And their idea was to establish a, an internship network across the world. Um, based on the philosophy that you don't fight a war against your friends. Mm. So that is how, if I remember it correctly, how it all started off. But then today, it's, I think, the second largest student organization in the world, world and sending out students and many, many of them to India. So actually, Isaac is the connection between the two of you, right? You're not married. Um, you, you did these internships at the same time, right? That's right. Yeah. We're good friends. <laughs> yeah. Actually... Uh, it happened that uh, the, a long time we actually lived in the same apartment um, and uh, we had the same circle of friends and through that we became, uh, became friends ourselves very, very closely and the contact lasts over many, many years now. And Our history, our, our story has some common milestones. Yeah. So Sven, why don't you start there, but you know, backtrack a little bit. Where where did you first get exposed to India, and what was what led up to your internship? It was part of my studies. That for at least uh, six months, you had to do months. You had to do an internship, mm-hmm. um, and I decided to do that at the very end of my studies. I decided to take a, uh, to to use the ISIC network. I was then uh, 
lucky to get selected for internship here with TCS, which was a really good Tata consultancy services, uh, where I spent six months. Um, this was my first exposure to India. I haven't had any idea about India before that. Of course, I prepared myself, but I also discovered that some of my children and youth heroes were actually Indians, uh, which if you asked about my first exposure, I actually would have to say Mowgli and the Jungle Book and, <laughs> and others. <laughs> but, but I came here um, and uh, in 2007 uh, in, in, into Mumbai and I got completely excited at the same time, how, what's the right word? Uh, overwhelmed? Overwhelmed by the smell of the city uh, when you arrive at the airport at that time. It was the old Mumbai airport. Absolutely, yeah. Um, then the, uh, the traffic, of course, and the humidity when you arrive in early September. So that was my first exposure, and um, yeah, and then I started working at this career development program for TCS for six months. Wow, I, I totally identify with that that smell part of it because I think India is you know, a lot of people say it's overwhelming and, and with all the senses. But uh, when I when I came to Chennai for the first time, there's a distinct smell that was there that uh, I think every time I get off the plane now, it, it's there. And it's not you know you don't want to say it's it's unpleasant, but it's just very very distinct of like okay, this is is what it is to to live in the the big city. And I'm sure Mumbai is very similar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. So, uh, so you you both came uh, to India on these internships, uh, assuming early to mid twenties uh, that you are. Talk about a little bit how those shaped you uh, personally and professionally. You're talking about uh, seven, or eight years since that time. Um, how did that kind of prepare you or, or take your life in a different direction, both personally and professionally? Um, if I speak from a personal angle first, then maybe Sven can speak from a professional point of view. For me, I think it was really important to uh, get out of my comfort zone and live in a place that is so drastically different because I was uh, living in, in, a, uh, in the same city for the first 23 years of my life and uh, everything was so simple, easy and organized and structured and I knew exactly how things are going to work out and that was just my idea of normal. And then you travel to different countries and you're like noticing all these weird things that people do in other countries and it, it all seems like fascinating and, and also strange in some way. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I was put in a, in a different surrounding, actually I had to learn to live there. I think that changed me. I started to realize that it's not that still in this, you know, the, the, what is defined normal and everything else is something strange, but you actually see that uh, this is also normal, this is a completely different way of living, but uh, it doesn't mean that it's uh, not normal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, yeah, it just taught me a lot of things, it taught me to be patient, to not expect <laughs> things to always be uh, the same way, you know, to work out in the same way it would do back home, it, it taught me to stop comparing, I think that's one big mistake we do when we move to a new place, we keep comparing everything in the beginning and if it's different, we somehow feel a bit uncomfortable with that. So yeah, I, I think I just became a little bit less judgmental, a little bit more mature perhaps. Yeah, I, I totally agree that when you talk about 
comparing that that's a very easy thing to get into and there's so many things that are different about india versus your home culture that it feels like everything's different so you have to compare everything and yeah. uh, then you feel like okay then one when you compare you have to say okay one is bad one is good but you really can't do that and exist well in india right exactly yeah you have to just uh, realize that certain things are, are this way in india and another way in finland they are both equally good and that's just how it's supposed to be so that's yeah. that's a learning Definitely. Um, Sven, let's, uh, let's hear from you. What about how did that internship time kind of prepare you and, and shape your personality? I can, first of all, fully agree, agree with you, uh, with you both when it comes to the comparison part. But what, what I think is that our internship, uh, at least that's the way I felt, it was less an Indian experience. It was more an international, multicultural experience because only within this year, we had some 20 odd number of uh, interns from all over the world. And then with ISEC, we had another around 20 people who were at different companies and we all gathered together and lived together. Um, so within a very short period of time, you come to know so many um, uh, nationalities thrown into a very, very challenging environment. So <laughs> it was very, very interesting to see how everyone is coping with that. Um, and from that perspective, I think it shaped me a lot also to to understand that a similar, I mean, I was traveling because my parents took me all over the place when I was young, but, you know, living at some place or, or being adventurous yourself and going out yourself, for me, it was also the first experience um, uh, in, as, as such. And yeah, it, it, just, it just shows you... Um, your place in the world a bit, you know, you become a little more humble. Mm -hmm. uh, if you stay in your comfort zone, you think the world evolves around, uh, uh, goes around you um, only. And once you end up in India with 1.2 billion people and other nationalities there and plenty of trouble around you, you figure that you're actually a small, uh, yeah, small individual here. Yeah, what you're talking about the world uh, revolving around you, Sven, uh, that is exactly what I mean uh, when I, um, how I felt about the whole Finland before I lived abroad. It's like Finland is the epicenter of the world <laughs> and somehow that sets the parameters of how everything else should be. And then you move out of Finland and realize that Finland is a really small country in the north and and the Finnish people are actually more strange than the Indians. <laughs> so it just, it's it gives you a new perspective. I mean, you were asking us this question today, and both are grown up and I think in a different phase of life, but you're asking us about something which happened in our early 20s, and I think that was really important that it happened in this phase of life uh, to break through, break out, to get rid of the chain. Yeah, I, I totally identify because you know, I also moved to India in my mid, mid-20s mid or so, and there's a lot of studies about how that final formation of the brain and the identity happens about that time in those mid to to early 20s and so i noticed things about my own perspective things about my own personality even that that were definitely shaped by those early years in india and definitely the thing you said about realizing that you're not the center of the universe i i think that you can hold on to that when you're in your home culture uh, when you're not exposed to different things but when you're in a place like india there's so many different epicenters that you see that you realize that it's just impossible to, to have that selfish view of the world when there's there's so much going on all around you. Definitely. So so that was uh, we kind of talked a little bit 
generally about personalities, how we go. Let's talk practically. What do you do now? I mean, it's been uh, seven or eight years. Somebody who's, uh, you know, thinking about taking some Isaac internship. What are the, what's a possible outcome that could come out of all this? Why don't you both tell us a little bit about what you do professionally and um, expound on that a little bit? Yes. Uh, today I work for EY, Ernst & Young. I um, helped companies from the German-speaking region, from Switzerland, Germany, and Austria to settle down here in India and expand their, their businesses here. Business here. Um, that pretty much fills my day when you're working for a consulting firm. That, right. Uh, and yeah, but whenever I'm uh, free these days, I uh, prepare for a PhD program, which I'm going to start soon. Um, which is in the area of uh, lean management, most likely with the with the German and the Swiss university. So a lot of time goes in there, and the rest is, I think, spend time in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> that that's become a big part of life. Charlotte, why don't you tell us about yourself? So for me, my last few years have revolved completely around yoga. Um, studying the yoga philosophy and doing my yoga teacher's training and a therapy course and master's degree. So I've just been studying and, and learning and trying to understand Indian philosophy in general. And um, I want to say that this actually had nothing to do with my internship as such. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think whatever is the reason that might bring you to India or, or to any country, it might lead to something that you didn't expect at all. But but it could be a lot better. I mean, uh, I've been really happy once I found this part, if you like to call it that. Yeah. And so I, I've been teaching uh, classes and um, corporate classes, private classes, and uh, quite active on on social media as well, trying to share a bit of awareness about yoga and and the benefits. So hopefully, a few, if even uh, three more persons start practicing because of me, that's like I feel my job is done. Um, and now I have recently signed a contract with a university in Norway, in uh, Bergen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be studying, uh, doing my PhD in uh, in uh, comparative religion. So I'm kind of going going back a bit to my background in, in comparative religion. So I'm going to be studying pigment uh, religion in Mumbai. Um, Can you say that one again? What is it called? Yeah, uh, the project is called pavement religion. Pavement religion, okay. Yeah, I'm going to be studying these unofficial religious shrines that you can see uh, when you walk on the roads. You might find, uh, you know, a god in a tree or a poster on a wall, and uh, even these small, small temples everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a research, it's a larger research project. Uh, my PhD is a small part of it, but it's something I'm quite uh, excited about. So I'll be traveling between India and Norway for the next three years. Now, uh, Charlotte, I want to ask a question about um, just your teaching in, in yoga. I, I find that um, looking at it from the outsider's perspective, you know, coming from the U.S., yoga is um, very much just tied in with exercise, tied in with kind of, um, you know, something else you do at the gym if you're tired of running. Um, so why don't you enlighten us a little bit more since you've done a lot of study into scriptures, into comparative religions, uh, what's maybe just one myth that you can bust for us about how most people think about yoga and how we should think about it? Um, well, I could just say that, uh, I, it's completely the same. What you're saying in the U S it's the same case in Europe. I think, um, in Finland, yoga is practiced at the gym. 
And the main thing people think about when they hear about yoga is that it's something health-related. Right. But if we actually look at what yoga is, it doesn't have anything to do with health as such, you know, getting fit or getting healthy. Yoga was always a method of uh, self-realization, a completely spiritual uh, path to find some kind of enlightenment, to find your true self. And all these uh, physical aspects, they are just uh, methods that we use for that spiritual goal. So now I think uh, this original meaning of yoga has got completely lost. And of course, you can still practice for the physical benefits if, if that's what we're into. But I think we should be aware that this is not what, what yoga is. So when somebody tells me yoga is for health, I feel like they stop, wait a minute, it's not. It's a philosophy, it's a spiritual discipline. But yes, you might become more healthy along the way. I mean, good if you do. Yeah, nice. I'm sure we could uh, have a much deeper conversation about it, but that's that's really good uh, insight to share. Now, I know both of you are very passionate about uh, the idea of relationship building and how important it is in India. That's something that, that we decided was going to be a focus of this conversation. Um, Charlotte, I'll, I'll just stick with you for now. Um, how central do you think relationship building is in India? And what are some things you typically see that uh, expats or outsiders make mistakes in this area? I think relationship building is everything in India. Uh, every good thing that has happened to me, either personally or professionally, has happened because of a friend in some way or the other. I mean, if I think about the job opportunities I've got, yoga, uh, corporate classes that I've been teaching or, or any kind of events I had the opportunity to teach at, it has always been a friend or a friend of a friend who has got me those jobs. And uh, generally speaking, uh, I think things don't work in India unless you have some kind of emotional connect with the person you are, are going to work with, mm-hmm. which is very different from Finland, where I think work is something completely practical, quite straightforward. But in, in India, it starts with the uh, emotional connect, uh, discuss, just talking about talking about your family, talking about other things, and you indirectly then enter this whole work uh, zone. And uh, you said mistake. Uh, I think the biggest mistake you can make is not socializing with locals, wherever you are, even, uh, I mean, in any country. Mm-hmm. If you spend time with other experts and think that that's going to give you the right picture of, of the local culture, it's just not going to work out. Then you are going to be in that bubble with a group of expats comparing things to, again, we are coming back to comparing how things go back home. Right. I think, yes, have a few expat friends as well. And if you need to blow up some steam, you know, sometimes, fine. But make make sure to have those local friends. Getting to, you know, if you're in India, have Indian friends. That is what's going to eventually lead you to a lot of good things, both on a personal and professional front. Definitely. Great. Sven, I know this is like a an intense passion for you talking about relationship building, especially on the professional side of things. Why don't you tell us more about your thoughts? During my time when I uh, had in, in India, uh, I had to basically give my social skills and relationship building pretty much a boost. Mm-hmm. I I I'm not anti-social, but I can be uh, pretty okay with myself as well. So most of the time I would sneak out or be a little a little out. But 
during my time in India, it happened that I actually developed a full training program on on, on how to uh, build and maintain relationships because I was uh, simply thrown in a situation where I had to do so and I could see how passionate the Indians are in, 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 in building relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, today it's called the Nimble Networker and I run these programs at home at my home university in, in Hohenheim to share the experience there and I've given it, I run it here with, with NGOs in, in, in Mumbai. So it's called, uh, just to interrupt you, it's called the Nimble Networker, right? The Nimble Networker, yeah. Okay. It, it, it's really about, uh, it, it's about, first of all, to realize how important relationships are. Um, I'm coming from Germany just to compare what we said we won't do, but I'm coming from Germany where, uh, where relationships uh, are supposed to not help you much in your career. You are need to look, uh, focus on performance, and this performance is supposed to, to dictate where you're going to end up in your career. And um, it's, in Germany, it's a culture where it's rather, rather subtle that you're lo- using relationships for your business purposes. Whereas here in India, it is very openly done. And it's, everyone is very clear about the uncle who's giving the job or uh, the, the cousin who has become the supplier. So it, it, it's quite open here. Um, and But in, uh, what I want to highlight is in both nations, it's there. <laughs> and it's maybe even in the equal manner, but one is more open, the other one is a little more subtle. So a lot of this program is just simply realizing that and then to uh, come up with some strategies of how to break through best. Yeah, so Sven, why don't you uh, give us a little bit more. You talk about this this training program you created. So what's maybe one tip you could give to effectively build professional relationships? Of course, it is. Um, uh, what, what I usually tell the students and also which I apply in my job is, is a model called um, acquaint, ally, um, allow. Like these are the three phases which which are there, mm-hmm. and you need to give a relationship time to go through all these phases. Go in a bit more into details. Uh, this this phase, at least here in India, when it comes to acquaintance, it's usually done. What Charlotte says, you you go out, you you go out, you meet people. There are so many events which are happening, uh, which really. I'm really taking over. I'm talking about a huge number of events which are happening. You can basically every evening go to another social event, and uh, Indians absolutely. are absolutely uh, like fanatic going there and uh, <laughs> spreading Christmas cards. So you can acquaint so many people here if you want to. Uh, in other countries, you might have to search for these opportunities a bit more, but they are there. So this acquainting phase is really more about um, you know getting to know the people from the first looks and from the business cards. And then when it comes to the allow phase, it's where you're filtering and where you're going to meet people and you're trying to assess whether you actually want to listen to them. Okay, so this is the, the ally phase, right? So first was acquaint, then ally. Okay. I, the ally phase where you, where you sit with them and identify whether it's actually a relationship you would like to take further. And uh, when it comes to India, this is a very critical phase. You have um, you, you have to have very long and deep conversations to figure out the intention of the other person and how will how much is he willing to to give and to contribute and to cooperate. Um, I have I think this is a very crucial phase. And finally, once you have gone through all of that, it's the allow phase where you basically approach for the business purposes, like closing a deal or whatsoever. So what I'm trying to say is 
for each of these spaces, you can develop certain strategies. Um, but you need to go through all these spaces, which means you need to give it time to, to evolve. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte, why don't you give us, kind of on the other side, Sven's given us a framework to think about. Why don't you share a story about uh, one time when uh, you've seen the effect of just the spontaneous relationship result in something good? You know, uh, something happened just a couple of days ago. I started uh, doing a bit of field work for my research in, in for my PhD, and I was just walking uh, down down the road, and I saw this uh, poster of of a Hindu god. And I stopped to take a photo, and I felt that uh, you know I kind of felt the need to explain myself why I'm standing there and and taking pictures on the road, and the watchman sitting and looking at me. So I told him. Uh, you know, I'm just taking this photo for my research project. And um, another senior man overheard me saying it, and he started talking to me and, and uh, told me he's a dentist, handed over his business card. And I thought, okay, you know, uh, he uh, he probably wants me to take a dental appointment uh, with him. But he, he told me, you know, anytime during these three years, if you need any help, you can always call me. I have a lot of books on religion, and I would be happy to, to borrow them. I mean, you can borrow them from me. And, uh, and it was just based on, I must have spoken to him for two minutes before he was ready to help me. So that's just an example of how Indians, uh, respond very soon if you are friendly and if you are open and out there. Uh, I'm not sure if this would happen. I'm sorry, I'm back to the comparing, <laughs> but I'm not sure if this would happen in Europe that I speak to somebody for two minutes and they want me to help me with my research project. But I don't even think this is a, a you know, once in a lifetime time thing that happens in India. These kind of similar situations happen quite often that somebody offers uh, their health completely selflessly. So I don't know. What do you think, then? Is it a cultural thing? See, I, that's this very famous saying where you say everything what you what you uh, everything what you say about India, the opposite is also true. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I uh, could also find friendly and helpful people, uh, no doubt, Charlotte. But um, I could also you can also find plenty of of people who appear to be very grumpy and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not helpful. So it's also always a mix. And maybe something which is interesting is that uh, when you look into families and how they deal with their conflicts, India is actually known for most of us as a country where criticism is done very subtle, subtly, very, very indirectly. And, you know, uh, bit, I think you know what I'm referring to. Uh, but what I have experienced in uh, in the family is that they can pretty much be outspoken. They tell you right in the face and uh, uh, what what their problem is. So when it comes to relationship and communication, you find all kinds of extremes, from very nice to very grumpy, and indirect to very direct. Depends on the situation, depends on the culture. Yeah, and again, we are dealing with, uh, I mean, we cannot even speak about India in general like this because we are dealing with such a huge population. So, so obviously, I mean, even in a city like Mumbai, 19 million people, you will find <laughs> all kinds of people. But yeah, I, I just feel that if you are friendly, if you are open-minded and, and you do socialize, chances are high that something good will come out of it. That's basically my point. It, yeah. it doesn't take that much time for an for an Indian to respond to your uh, your openness, if I say so. 
Definitely. I, I've had many times when I've been uh, on my way to lunch with somebody and I tell my wife I'm heading out and she says, oh, who are you going to meet? And I say, oh, it's just some guy I, I met on the train or it's just some guy that uh, that I met in some very you know casual encounter. And then all of a sudden we're eating together and then maybe I'm, I'm bringing my family over and lots of relationships just start with, you know, very, very simple things that just seem like these random acts like you were talking about with the dentist. Um, so I totally agree with that, that, um, that it happens. And like Sven says, it all, there, there are some people who do just want the dental appointment. They're just trying to get some, some business out of you. Um, but, uh, but I think by and large that, uh, that you find in India a much higher percentage of people who are just at any point are ready for a good relationship, any point ready to, to give something good to you, not even expect anything in return. So that's, that's really great. Yeah. Um, when, when it comes to relationship, one, one topic that I find, uh, that is, I think it's very different in, in India versus at least my home culture is in terms of maintenance of relationships and not, not to say, we should think about relationships being work or anything like that. But uh, just to give an example, so I, I have several friends from my college days um, that, you know, we can have months, if not years go by. And uh, if I just send a, a simple text message, then it's like nothing has happened and we can just mm-hmm. bounce back into those relationships. Whereas I feel like in, in India that that's possible to do, but it it often to really have great relationships takes a lot more um, how, how to say, just constant communication, uh, a little more uh, nurturing of that relationship over time. Um, so uh, my opinion is that it takes a little bit more work, but you're often getting more benefits from that maintenance required. What are, what are both of your views on that? I can recognize some of what you're saying. I've had such examples of friends who have suddenly not been so happy with me for, for various for, for not keeping in touch enough yeah. basically for not giving them a call or and um, yeah I, I'm personally not very good at remembering to you know call someone and check up on how they're doing so this has happened to me a few times I have upset a few few people so I think it's true what you're saying and also like you're saying it would maybe not happen in in Finland where I'm from so uh, I think you have a point. I don't know, Sven, what's your experience? <laughs> well, as a German who has developed a program, on <laughs> I, of course, have put a system and process in place, how it would be an efficient one. Um, yeah, I think today, uh, thanks to <clears throat> to online, um, online media like Facebook or LinkedIn, Sing for Germany in particular, also the WhatsApp uh, and Hangouts and what all is existing, it makes it way easier to stay in touch with the folks at home as well as here. And um, it's true, I mean, I really constantly follow up with people. So I try not to allow this to happen, that anyone says, uh, where have you been all this time? So I keep really track and uh, try to show action. And I get a lot of appreciation from that, and particularly from, from, uh, from Indians, I have to say. Like if I ping a if I ping a German or a French or whatever just to say hi, would be either no reply or a very very brief reply on that. Whereas wondering what you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's 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 almost overwhelming sometimes if you just send a hello to someone you haven't been in touch with over the last six months, and then there comes a huge email or appreciation. So that, that just shows on a very small scale now, but it, it just shows that there is some more appreciation from me on the Indian side. They just value relationships so much. Excellent. Yeah. 
So is it more work? That was your question. I'm I'm not sure, but if it is more work, I find it rather pleasurable. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's pleasurable work. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's nice. Now, uh, both of you have had some pretty close contact with Indian families. I want to turn the conversation there um, because I think uh, for a lot of outsiders, understanding what it what it actually looks like inside an Indian family is you know you don't often get that real picture. And what yeah. what we get is either either we have no clue, and so we're just using assumptions, or you see some Bollywood movie about all the drama that's going on behind the scenes. Um, so, just share a little bit of your perspective about you know what's something that that people should know about Indian families that maybe they don't know. I am really happy to to share this, and I'm glad you asked us this question because. I think there's a lot of misconceptions, and at least my story is is different from what you would imagine when you read the news or you watch a Bollywood movie. Or I think there's a lot of negative stereotypes and and preconceived notions about Indian families, about Indian men, um, mother-in-laws, all these things. But I can very honestly say that in my seven years of uh, uh, sorry, how long have I been married? <laughs> Not seven years. <laughs> Uh, since 2009, mm-hmm. uh, I have been, uh, I've not had a single negative uh, event happening with my in-laws, if I can put it like that. Mm-hmm. I have never had an argument. I have never felt that they are trying to control me or change me in any way. In fact, they have opened me, comple- I mean, <laughs> welcomed me with completely open arms from, from the beginning. And this is the first question when I tell people I'm married to an India, and a lot of people ask me, how did his mom and dad react? You know, they must have been scandalized and shocked. And I'm like, no, that not, none of this happened. They were happy, and uh, we had a nice little simple wedding. It was not a big Bollywood drama. And, you know, it's just been easy and effortless. So uh, I think I, I'm glad to share this because I think we need more stories like, like this one. Definitely. That's that's great. Um, so you said you got married to your husband in uh, 2009? Okay, great. And do you, just out of curiosity, do you, uh, I'm assuming you don't live with your husband's parents, but you live close by? What's the situation there? Uh, my husband's parents actually live in Dubai. They stay with us for uh, a car, maybe one month every year. And um, But my um, other uh, in-laws, I mean my grandmother, I call her my grandmother now, the Indian way, <laughs> and aunts and uncles, and they stay nearby. And we meet maybe once a week or so over lunch or dinner, and it's, there's not been a problem with, with anyone. So uh, it's not just that my in-laws were living abroad and are <laughs> open-minded, have, have taken it well. It's the entire big, fat Indian family. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I can only speak for myself. Of course, there would be uh, different kind of stories. but uh, Right. But I mean, but like you said, it's important. I think there need to be more stories like yours that, that get shared. Uh, that people yeah, I mean, I can just I can just add to that. that uh, I, when I, I have been uh, with a lady um, uh, for many years uh, in the national, national who, uh, where I also can confirm uh, that I was just Treated so nicely and with so much respect, uh, I was treated as like like a, the son um, in in that family, and it was warm at the same time. It was a, it was very honest also. Um, so I, I I felt absolutely comfortable um, yes. in in that situation. In with your close friends and your family, 
there is this complete brutal honesty. <laughs> so somebody might just tell you one day that, oh, you look horrible and you put on weight and, you know, anything. <laughs> and it's just said with like love and, and everyone means well, but, you know, it's maybe not something that would happen in Europe. And then on the other side, like Sven is saying, in the business uh, world or, or the professional uh, field, there you have to be less straightforward. Also, in regards to work, I think, you can't be so direct with what you want and your intentions. You have to be a bit polite and speak around the topic. And, you know, is this what you've experienced too? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right, yeah. And yeah, just and then another announcement. You know that Neil, I'm going to get married soon in August. So looking forward to that. And it, it's the same. It's the same again. I mean, the the family is extremely welcoming. The family is extremely uh, uh, like adopting you as as in their in their center in their midst. And uh, and again, it can be also be uh, very impulsive here and there. So it, it's just it's just um, something which I think is in our country is the same, but maybe on a different level, a different degree. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something that that I, I wrote about in the past on on the blog about how you know when you really generalize things, it sounds like okay, Indians are all indirect in their communication, and you have to they need to learn how to be more direct. But they know how to be direct. It's not. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's not the issue. It's more in terms of what I what I called in the article about relationship delicacy. It all depends on who they're talking to. You know, if you're talking to your boss or or a top client or something like that, then yes, they're going to be very indirect in their speech. But like you said, if they're talking to to family um, or peers or, or friends and different things, then they're they're going to be much more direct in those terms. So I think that's a, a great point to come back to. Yeah. Just to kind of close up our time, why don't both of you give, you can just summarize, help us with one tip that, that would be useful to somebody coming in. Maybe you can look back to yourself, uh, somebody who would be coming in for an internship in India. What's one piece of advice you would give to a, a student in their mid to early 20s that wants this international experience? Well, uh, two simple basic things. First one would be, going back to what I said before, get to know as many locals as you can, as soon as possible, so that you're not only with your expat community. And the second thing would be, be completely open to things changing. Like how I said, my internship was supposed to take me in one direction, but then I found yoga instead and, and something good came out of it. So uh, just uh, go to a lot of places, meet a lot of people, be open and let things kind of happen the way they are meant to happen and don't try to force force everything to go as per what you maybe previously thought. I mean, that's as simple as I would put it. Nice. Okay. And Sven, for you? Yeah. Be uh, open, entertained, get yourself entertained here. Use with your foreign internship, uh, really try to go out and make the best of the time. Uh, and for some reason, when you ask me the question, what comes to my mind is entertain yourself by uh, reading and, and visiting the places of the godsmen which are here, <laughs> or Obindo, which I think is around your corner, Osho, Krishnamurti, read all that stuff. It's it, it's really great, and you feel you feel you understand the culture even better with all the with all the writing. Absolutely, getting to know a bit about the Indian philosophy and spirituality and religion, it will add so much more if you have some basic understanding of those things. Yeah, that's really interesting. You mentioned that I'm. 
Before I came to India, I read uh, one of uh, Rabindranath Tagore's book um, called Gora. And just recently, I started to reread that. And it was just amazing to think about, okay, what I, I learned about society just from that, uh, that first reading and what I'm, you know, looking back on it and reading it again has been really great too. So that's, that's a really good advice. Oh, why don't you both tell us a little bit about uh, if people want to learn more about you, uh, where they can find you. Um, Charlotte, what about, tell us about your, your yoga uh, business and where they can find more about that. Um, so I'm pretty active on Facebook and Instagram and I write a blog. And so I created this, uh, can say brand name called Yogi. Um, so if you just check that up on Facebook, you'll find me and links to all the other stuff that I'm doing. That's, that would be the easy way. Okay, it's Yogyug, so Y-O-G-Y-U-G, right? That's correct. Okay. And then, Sven, uh, for someone to get in touch with you, where should they go? Uh, LinkedIn would be a good source. You can connect with me there. Um, else, my blog is going to be online any day soon. It's uh, nimblenetworker.com. Excellent. Well, Sven and Charlotta, thank you so much for taking the time to, to have this call. I think we all learned a lot about India, and it's just great to hear your perspective on, on everything. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us, Neil. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It was fun. Excellent. This has been the Working with India podcast produced by learningindia.in. Please subscribe to the show to get new updates as soon as they're released. And as always, don't do India alone.